Let's turn to Psalm chapter 8. I've entitled the morning's message, Waiting for Redemption. We sang the same song this morning, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It goes on, you have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babes and infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. As we went a little bit more in depth with this in 8, 9, and 10, is really what we got through on Wednesday evening, I want to come back to Psalm 8 this morning and mention that, again, there's a variety of different types of psalms, and Psalm 2, similar to Psalm 8, is referred to as a messianic psalm. Um, What we have in view here is the Lord's dominion eventually. It is prophetic in the sense that it is yet future. Uh, There are many themes that run through the Bible, beginning with creation. Of course, immediately the fall of man, we'll be looking at that a little bit later in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians. God's plan of redemption because of man's fall. God's plan for Israel, as we see them regathered in the land. The church age, beginning at Pentecost, it'll have its ending with the rapture of the church, which is an imminent event, which means it could happen at any time. We believe there isn't anything that has to happen before the Lord could come for his church. That's why we're to be found watching and ready. Of course, his plan for Israel and uh, the church age. After the church age, we will be ushered into a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Got different names. Some refer to it as Daniel's 70th week. Um, it's really the time of Jacob's trouble. It's mentioned uh, throughout the Old Testament, primarily in the book of Daniel. Um, and then, of course, after the tribulation, we have the kingdom age. And what we're looking at in Psalm 8 is the kingdom age. That's why I'm going through sort of the themes that are highlighted in Scripture. And then even after the thousand-year millennial reign, we will enter into eternity. Um, Revelation 21 and 22, not a whole lot given to us. Uh, We call it the New Jerusalem, and it will be our eternal home. Now, with that much of a little bit of a background, as we look at Psalm 8 this morning, making our way through the Bible, um, when Jesus said (laughs) the volume of the book is about him, the more you get into the scriptures, the more you realize just exactly what he meant by that. Psalm 8, you might think, is about you in some cases, and it's really not. You're implied to once in Psalm 8, David referring to himself, but the majority of... um, of who is being referred to here is none other than Jesus himself. 
This might have been one of the places that Jesus opened up to uh, Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. He gave him an Old Testament Bible study. And as he was giving this study, all of a sudden, it says, he opened up the scriptures to him. Oh, I would love to have seen that one. <laughs> love to have known what he taught. What did he choose? It says, beginning at Moses, he opened up the Bible to them, and their hearts began to burn as they got it. They said, I understand that. And so they, they were um, uh, seeing what Jesus said. The volume of the book is really about Jesus. Now, as you look at verse 1, I should mention also that Psalm 8 is mentioned at least three and possibly four times in the New Testament. And that's really our goal this morning is to show you how the old and the new connect. And uh, as we look at verse 1, it's, you see that it repeats in verse 9. It begins with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And that's how verse 9 ends, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now it refers to his name here being over everything that you have set your glory above the heavens and um, uh, we find um, it's really a reference to not what is necessarily happening right now, his name being over all the earth because you can turn on any TV channel and you're going to get um, who's, uh, when, when is uh, trading camp for the Packers, who's traded who to which team, how the Brewers are doing, are they holding their lead, or what's happening in um, different places in the world. But primarily, when you open up a newspaper or turn on TV, it's not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 of Psalm 8 and 9, is actually in reference to the glory of the Lord's name being constant and everywhere. And it's a reference not to the here and now so much, but it is when he establishes his kingdom. And with that, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Zechariah. If you're wondering where that is, it's um, right before the last book of Malachi um, in the Old Testament. So make your way there. And um, while you're turning, um, Judy and I spent the last couple of days up in uh, Wapaka. Uh, we were honored to do the wedding for Bjorn and Jennifer, Bjorn Christian and Jennifer, our fellowship here. And we had an outdoor wedding out in the countryside in Wapaka. It was absolutely beautiful. And um, we had a couple meals at a couple local restaurants. And when you're there, uh, you're in tourist mode. <laughs> Matter of fact, we were getting ready to go on the Chief Wapaka, which is this big paddle wheel. And um, Barb, one of the gals from the church here, Barb and Randy, uh, Barb had her daughter up from um, uh, Texas. They were coming down, and we were just sitting there. So we had a little fellowship. Judy and I were having a little discussion about eternal security. We were debating back and forth on these issues, and they happened to show up at that time. So we had a little fellowship there in the dock. But when we went out to eat, we went to this one restaurant called The King's Table. We thought, who knows, maybe it's a Christian restaurant. But it wasn't. <laughs> but they had these coffee cups there. And uh, they had advertisements for somebody's plumbing and somebody's real estate and somebody else's whatever. And that's what was on the cups. And then we went to another restaurant um, 
And what they had on there was a picture of the Chain of Lakes. So that, that was their advertisement. And everybody was, had something written on their particular business or organization. So we, in the world today, that's when you go somewhere, you, you get a souvenir, and that's usually what you bring back. Well, in the kingdom, and why verse 1 and verse 9 is not about the here and now, is because when we enter the kingdom, everything that will be written down will be all about Jesus Christ, just like it says in Psalm 8. If you pick, if you look at um, chapter 14, this is speaking about when Jesus Christ will be in the millennial kingdom reign. And um, we read in uh, Zechariah chapter 14, picking up in verse 16, so it'll come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. So here we have this, this, um, this final war, and the Bible talks about it here. They will go up from year to year to worship uh, the king. Now, of course, Matthew 25 gives us a little more detail. It, it means everybody who didn't take the mark of the beast. Matthew 25 clearly says there's a separation at the end of uh, the great tribulation between those who belong to the Lord and those who do not. He separates the sheep from the goats. We have those going in to the kingdom. These would be the sheep. Verse 17, and it shall be that uh, whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to the um, Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, of them there will be no rain. If the families of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations, which do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And now verse 20. In that day, holiness to the Lord will be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Everything's inscribed. Everything is dedicated to. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah and will be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them, and that day there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. So in Psalm 8, when it says, O Lord, O Lord, how... Magnificent is your name in all the earth. It is really not now. It's not what we see in the here and now. And um, that is yet prophetic and yet coming. All right, I mentioned that um, uh, much of Psalm, three places in the New Testament, there's a reference. Let's go back to and read verse 2 of Psalm 8. And this is, says, out of the mouth of babes and infants you have ordained strength. And because of your enemies, and this part is important that slipped in here, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So let's turn now to where this is quoted in the New Testament, which would be in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Let me just deal a little bit with what's leading up to this. The scribes and the Pharisees have been trying to 
trick Jesus. And um, every time they would try to corner him with a tough question, a biblical question, well, he'd put them in their place really quick. It even got to a point where he finally said, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, where was he from? Was it from heaven or was it from earth? Was he just a man or was he sent from God? And they didn't like the question. So they huddled together and they, they thought about it and they said, well, if we say from heaven, the Lord's going to say, why didn't you listen to him? And if we say from earth, he's got us there too. We're trapped. And so they go back and they say, well, we don't know. <laughs> well, we aren't going to tell. So Jesus knew exactly where they were at. And he says, and neither am I going to answer your question. So he silenced his avengers. Uh, a coin. Who's, should you pay taxes or not? You know, what a setup, you know. Well, what's, whose inscription is on there? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar's what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And after going through that several times, they had enough. And I said, nobody dared ask him any more questions. Psalm 8 says, he silenced his avengers. And this is how it's leading up to what he's going to say next. If you're in Matthew 21, and um, they were upset with Jesus. In verse 12, he went into the temple and um, he drove out those who bought and sold. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the doves. And he said, it is written. And again, he's quoting prophecy. You can't study the Bible with always dealing with prophecy. He said, it is written. My house should be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And then after that, then the blind came to him and the lame and, you know, the humble and the poor gladly heard Jesus. They were open. They wanted to hear. They couldn't get enough. And he would heal them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and now the little children are crying out in the temple, and they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And the high priests were indignant because the kids were there. And they were actually worshiping the Lord. And this is how the Lord responds to him. He quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. And he says, haven't you guys ever heard the saying? Haven't you ever read, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you shall have praise perfected? There's something wonderful and marvelous about the faith of a little child. And here, Jesus pulls Psalm 2, he accomplishes two things in fulfillment here. He silences Avengers. He shuts them up real quick. But then when the little kids, they didn't know that they were fulfilling Bible prophecy, but Jesus himself is the one. Hey, don't you remember Psalm 8, verse 2, out of the mouth of babes? Just flip back, just for a word, not so much for the kids, but an exhortation for you and I. Matthew 18 Something about Jesus that would have drawn little children to him. Kids can usually pick up on that really quick. I had a little four-year-old who was checking me out yesterday right before the wedding. He didn't know quite how to handle me. I was the preacher. I don't think he'd ever met one before. And so he was just kind of checking me out. And so I know how to handle them. I said, give me five. And all of a sudden he gave me five and we were best friends just like that. That's all it took. A little slap, give me five. And they loosen up and they lighten up. I think the Lord, you know, when he was here, 
the little kids would have been drawn to Jesus. And in Matthew 18, the Lord says, unless we become like them, unless we have this um, childlike faith to, to become like him, uh, verse 1, at this time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put him in his midst and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like one of these little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's amazing how much you can think you got your act together and you got your thing down, and then all of a sudden you're born again, you realize you don't know nothing. And you come as this little child and go, This is what it's all about? And that's why it says, As newborn babes, 50 years old. Dad was 50 years old. Um, went down memory lane yesterday to where he built the house up in Pine River. And, and um, Jenny, who went to be with the Lord in 2009 or 10, I can't remember. Uh, we went to uh, see her headstone. We did her funeral out in Pine River. But uh, just going down memory lane, remembering um, um, those sort of things. When Dad was 50, here he is, a 50-year-old man, a businessman, very successful in his business. And yet, when he was born again, he says, son, I, f- I feel like I've wasted my whole life. And the reason he actually built that house up in Pine River, he sold his businesses, and he wanted to think. And so he built a house, and he worked in it for three years. He wanted to clear his head of what he'd been doing for 50 years. And if this is true, then he had to rethink everything. And it was tough. I mean, he eventually got involved with service masters, a cleaning industry. You know why he did? Because of the name of the business. It was a Christian organization which was meant service for the master. And that's why, you know, he was a young believer. Made sense to him at the time. I'm getting a little sidetracked here. Dad would have died a very wealthy, unsaved man if he would have stayed the course he was going. He died a very poor man, but a very, very rich man in the eyes of the kingdom. And I'm proud of him, and I miss him. And um, now I'm really getting off track, so we better get back here. Therefore, verse 4, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one little one like this in my name receives me. There's um, an attitude of arrogance, know-it-allness that comes before Christ. But when you're born again, you really become this infant, and you gotta, you got to come with that attitude. Look, I really don't know anything. This is all new to me. I've been born again. I am a baby. So we start you out with the milk, and you get weaned off the milk, and then we get you into some meat. And before you know it, you're having in-depth studies in the book of Daniel and Revelation, and you're getting it, and it's all coming together. But there's that growing process that we all have to go through, no shortcuts. All right. Let's go back to Psalm 8. That's verse 2. In verse 3 and 4, it tells us, When I consider your heavens. Now, the eye here is David. He's writing the psalm. So he says, When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And so as we look at this verse, I want to go up to 4B. I'm going to stop right there because 
Uh, the next part says, and the son of man. There's a transition from David to Jesus in verse four, and I don't want you to miss it. It says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Well, there's a comma there. And then we're gonna jump into, but I'll come back to 4B. Let's just deal with three um, to 4A. This is about David. I'm gonna have you flip over to Psalm 139. I don't know if Pastor Lane gave you that one, but I wanna go there. <clears throat> quickly. It's, you're already in the book of Psalms, so just flip over. Psalm 139 is also written by David. He asks the question, what is, what is man? With all that you've created, the vastness, the enormity, the wonder of your creation, how great it is, how marvelous it is, why would you ever consider man in the scope of the greatness of your creativity? That's David's question, what is man? In Psalm 139, um, David says, oh, can't read the whole thing for time's sake, let's just look to verse 14. He says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and how well I know them. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And 17 and 18, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Why would you think of me, first of all, he says, but then he realizes how much he does. He says, how great are the sum? Well, if I should count them, there would be more in number than the sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. David says, what, what is man that you'd even think about him? Well, the, the fact is, <laughs> he knows the hairs on your head. There's a day appointed that's in his calendar when he's going to take you home. There was a day ordained when you were born, that's your birthday. And he has all things recorded and written down that you've done in his name. And another place in the scriptures, it says he numbers our tears, each and every one. And he listens in also to our conversation. All right, let's go back to 4B. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? But then he goes on to say, and the son of man that you visit him, for you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. This is where the transition comes in. It's not David or you and I that's in view here. Because in the next verse it says he's going to have dominion over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We're not talking about David anymore. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to have dominion over everything in this world. You have put all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through all. Now, these verses here, in 1 Corinthians 15, this will be the second place in the New Testament we'll go to this morning that is going to quote Psalm 8. So let's make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll see Paul as he talks about an order of the resurrection. We call 1 Corinthians 15 the resurrection chapter. And Paul just lays it out very precisely, talking about the first fruits. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead with a resurrected body. 
And then, then Stephen died, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, it was, it was Jesus first, then they killed James. And uh, we have an order beginning in verse, oh, let's see, verse uh, 20 here in 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruits. So the first resurrection isn't a one-time event for a believer, but it's an ongoing process that happened after Jesus was the first one. We have Stephen being killed and James. They wanted to take out um, Peter and uh, the other disciples. They scattered. <laughs> the Lord said, go in all the world and preach the gospel. Everybody stayed in Jerusalem until persecution came. And then we have the gospel going into all the world. Well, just as there's an order of uh, the resurrection, there's also an order of all things that's given to us here. Let's read 20 through 28. Verse 21 says, For by, by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming, raptures, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and then the last enemy which will be destroyed is death. And here we have Psalm 8 being quoted now by Paul. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under his feet, it is evident that he who put all things under his feet in him is expected. Has it happened yet? He declared it as though it's a foregone conclusion. We read Psalm 8, he's, he's done it. Well, he has but it hasn't happened yet, is what's being stated here. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him that God may be all in all. And so here we have the second place where Paul picks this up as he's talking about the resurrection. He also goes through an order, talks about death, talks about Jesus conquering death, being the first fruits. Then those who are in Christ and those who are going to be with the Lord, that continual progression. Now, this same verse is repeated again, gives us even more detail that it's yet future. And I want to take you there. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. So let's turn over to Hebrews 2. Picking it up in verse 5. Peter's writing to, um, or Paul's writing, I believe here, to Hebrews. So they already have a certain mindset. They would have a hard time accepting Jesus as Messiah simply because he's from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. So the writer here has to explain that he's after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron, so on and so forth. But here, getting back to all things being under the Lordship of Christ, Hebrews 2, picking up in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come 
of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, and here's Psalm 8 again. This is the third time it's quoted in the New Testament. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, clarification. He goes on, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Now, get this next sentence. It starts with a but, but. Now we do not see all things put under his feet. Now we know for sure we're talking about Jesus. Now we know for sure this is still yet future. It wasn't being fulfilled in Psalm 8. Neither is it being fulfilled now. We do not see all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Certainly not. In this world, are you kidding me? You watching the news lately? Holy smokes. I mean, we have a world in absolute turmoil right now. We have the Middle East exploding. We have Russia on the rise, United States of America in decline. Our borders are so wide open, how many knows, who knows how many ISIS members are already here? And uh, we're well aware of these things. We were, we're on the verge of an economic collapse. We had Argentina this week declaring bankruptcy, and uh, Spain and Greece and so on and so forth lining up. And everything's coming together, well pre-planned for a one-world government and a one-world religion. Do we th- see all things <laughs> under his dominion and authority? If we are, I'm awful disappointed in the kingdom, let me tell you. But here it makes it clear we're, we're speaking in the future tense. Not only that, we just have, our, uh, we have a, what Jesus talked about, the times in which we live. He talked about uh, one of the signs was pestilences. Well, the largest outbreak of Ebola ever is happening right now on, on the western coast of Africa. A very brave doctor gave up. There was only one dose that would have helped him, uh, him and a nurse. He, he gave that to her. And you guys telling you things you already know. But my point is, we don't see the millennial kingdom. And those that would say such things or, or believe that we're going to usher in the kingdom age, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. And common sense doesn't teach us that either. We don't see the world getting better and better. Or am I the only one? Anybody else see it getting better and better out there? I see it getting worse, and I see it getting worse. But not only that, the scriptures are clear on this issue. Second Timothy 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times are going to come. Men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemy, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. Hmm, how many truces have been broken in the last two weeks in Israel? Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of that which is good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. After the wedding yesterday, we were sitting at a table and there was another couple from the fellowship there. It was your daughter, Mike. And we were just talking about current events and things that are going on in the world. And 
we were talking about why aren't people getting it? Why, why can't they see what's happening in the world in which we're living? And we really got down to just a real basic answer. People have gotten away from the teaching of this book. It's that simple. The book teaches it. It lays out exactly what's happening, what's going to happen. But if you're not teaching the book, or if you're giving message that, that uh, sort of, oh, that's a good way to put it, just patronizes the, uh, the person in the pew, telling you something you need to hear, something that's going to help you, help you with your job skills or leadership skills. Well, that's fine, and, and we'll find that somewhere in the Bible when we get there. But in the meantime, you've got to lay out the whole thing, and then you will see Psalm 8 is really prophetic about the kingdom age. And the Bible says in Colossians 3, 1, look, if you're born again, you're supposed to be thinking about those things that are up there. Not about what's going on down here. It doesn't mean we become irresponsible. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't care, take care of your family, you're worse than, than an infidel. You know, work hard. Be the best guy in the shop. And let them know that uh, you're a good worker because you love the Lord and you're a good provider that way. Okay. Um, also, Jesus clearly said, instead of the days getting better and better, Matthew 24, there's going to be a great tribulation. That's what this is leading to, gang. And this might be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And uh, uh, Jesus said there will be great tribulation, not since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. And except those days be short, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. Psalm 8. Nothing will or can stop Jesus from fulfilling Psalm 8. That's the good news. David said, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. All people will be talking about is Jesus in Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem next year. Some of you are disappointed. Oh, I don't get to go to Israel this year in October. Well, the way things are going, I don't know if we're going either. But I get good news for you. You get to go once a year in the millennium. So... I don't know how it's going to be set up then. I'm I'm sure it'll be a little bit different. But nothing can stop Psalm 8 from being fulfilled. All things are going to be put under his authority. There will be a change in creation. That's why I've entitled this Waiting for Redemption. What's it going to be like? Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Much of Isaiah is about the kingdom age. Isaiah chapter 65, picking it up. In verse, yes, 65, 17, what's it going to be like? What is Psalm 8 referring to when it says, have dominion over all the sheep and the, and the animals and the fish of the sea? Verse 17, the Lord says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. For the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. People wonder about, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm like, and I'm going to be wondering about the days down here. No, the Bible clearly says You'll, you'll remember them no more. I think one, one glimpse of being home and uh, all of this you won't want to think about. Be glad and rejoice forever in what the Lord has created, verse 18. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people in joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people And the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now, this is not heaven. And verse 
20 through 22 explains why. We're talking about the kingdom age. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, and an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For a child will die being 100 years old. They'll say, oh, what a shame. You know, such a young little little skipper. He's only 100 years old. (laughs) It was like the four-year-old I high-fived yesterday. Only then when you're 100, oh, what a pity, you know. Uh, Something happened and he died and he was only 100 years old. And And the sinner, okay, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. There's still free will in the kingdom. And there will be a rebellion at the end of the thousand years, according to the book of Revelation. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. Now, in 2007, when we gave the Gaza over to the Palestinian people, uh, they took over our kibbutzes. They took over our houses, the Israelis' houses. And um, that could be what's a, a reference to here. They shall plant and another won't eat. For all the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Longevity of life will be restored, just like before the flood, when we had Adam living into the 900s, Methuselah being the oldest man in the world. And my elect shall long enjoy the works of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. There's a good one for you, parents. (laughs) Kids won't be in trouble. For they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring. It'll come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. Now back to Psalm 8. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And here we have um, this return to uh, the carnivores now becoming back to a vegetarian-type um, eating straw. We're told in verse 25, the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be as, as the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The, the, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Where are we now as we begin to close this up this morning? Well, we're in a waiting mode, waiting for redemption. Not for our, our, our salvation. That's, that's been accomplished. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? Salvation has been accomplished. We remembered that in communion this morning. Well, then what are we waiting for? Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, as we begin to answer that final question this morning. Book of Romans, chapter all creation is waiting groaning picking it up in verse 18 Paul talks about life now being tough the suffering that Jesus went through all the disciples were martyred Paul talks about you know the difficulties of ministry the difficulties that he had but when he writes to the Romans he says in verse 18 I I consider that the suffering of this present time, it's not going to be worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself is 
waiting for redemption. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This world was cursed when Adam sinned. He said, Adam, the ground is cursed because of your sin. Now you're going to have to work. You're going to work all day long and you're still going to have thorns and thistles. And that's, we've been under that curse and that part of the redemption has not happened yet. And that's what's being referred to here. They're still waiting for that to happen. That'll happen when the kingdom is established. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the, uh, the children of God. And I uh, see up to verse 29 here. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. I wonder about the coldest winter we've ever had in history. I wonder about the crazy weather that's going on around the world. And um, verse 23, and not only they, but we also, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Somebody want to give me an amen on that, even if you've got to grunt it out? Amen. <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> Playing softball. Or I should rephrase that. I am trying to play softball again on Monday nights. I'm having a great time, but let me tell you, my body groans the next day as a result of doing so. Oh, to have a 21-year-old body again. Better yet, how about a resurrected one like the kind that Jesus had? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. For we are saved in hope. You see, gang, that's what it all boils down to in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not about becoming a better person on the job site. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Hope in what? What are we hoping for? We're hoping for this kingdom to come. That's where we're supposed to be focused. That's what our, our eyes are upon that prize. We're, our eyes are bent on eternal things and eternal perspective. Verse 24, for if we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen, well, that's not hope, for why does still one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we are eagerly waiting. We're, we're in a mode right now, waiting for the Lord to take us home, waiting for the Lord to establish his kingdom. But we hope for what, uh, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us, notice, with groanings that can't be uttered. When you don't have the words to spit out how you feel, Lord, I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of where our country's at. I'm sick of where our government's at. I'm sick of TV programs where all they do is have one guy on this side and one guy on that side, and then they don't, by the time they're done, you, don't, you wonder who won. And it's back and forth, and you're groaning. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for good to those to love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and those who he called, these he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. All right, we made it through Psalm 8 this morning. In light of that, where do we have a therefore, and how do we end this this morning? Well, Peter sort of gives us that, and we'll, we will close with this this morning. I need you to turn to Second Peter chapter 3. As we watch, I think Lane said it well, the world isolating Israel. That's what the Bible predicts. The nations of the world against them. As we talk about these things, as you talk about these things to some of your family and friends, don't be surprised if you're scoffed at. Don't be surprised if your thought is being weird or out of touch. Actually, the opposite is true. Some of you want to give me an amen or not? Opposite is true. Some of us are a little afraid to talk about these things. We don't want to be perceived as naive or foolish. But Peter's pretty straight up about it in 2 Peter 3. And in verse 10, he talks about this day coming. And this is how we'll end our message this morning with a therefore. He says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. It's going to come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a fervent noise and the elements with a fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It's going to be gone. Now we have the therefore. Psalm 8 is about the kingdom. Before we get there, the world's going to have to go through the great tribulation. So now for us, because this is inevitable, it's going to happen, Paul, Peter says, therefore, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? In holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Dwight, you're always talking about the coming of the Lord and the kingdom. Well, it's kind of the theme of the Bible, so if you're going to teach the Bible, you're pretty much going to run across that theme. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? That's what it's about. And here Paul, Peter's just putting it, says, therefore, look, because this is not going to be someday. God's got plans of his own. Everything's going to be under his dominion. I sort of want to be in that group over there with him. Therefore, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, um, dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Now, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. I don't know where your eyes at this morning, but know that as we see our world in turmoil, that that's not the big picture. This is the big picture. Yeah, this is all going to happen. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But, therefore, looking forward to these things, be found by him in peace. Be at peace with one another. Love on one another. Go to the picnic this afternoon and try to beat the guys in Frisbee golf or whatever. (laughs) And just enjoy the fellowship. Be found blameless and spotless. And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Why hasn't the Lord come? Because he's long-suffering. 
because he's patient, not willing that any should perish. Paul, according to his wisdom, has written these things to you. Gang, as we see uh, all these things happening, as we make our way through the psalm, Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Well, we don't see that now, but we're going to see that. I hope that's your hope this morning. Amen? Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 8. As David is caught up in the wonder of your creation with the stars and the moon and how glorious and wonderful it is, Lord, that you would even think about us much less love us so much that you died for us, put our names in the book of life, caused us to be born again. Lord, in closing this morning, if somebody hearing my voice has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, they're trying to figure out what this is all about, living this life down here. Lord, your word tells us that we were created for you, created to have a relationship with you. And I pray for that one this morning who's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that hearing this message and your plans and purposes, Lord, that they would choose to believe on you, to confess their sins in their heart before you and ask you to save them and have their names, Lord, put in your book of life. So we thank you for your word this morning and pray that you go before us the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.